Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We are, of course, talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And closing out his week on the show is our guest, Ryan Dalton. Ryan, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Back again. You made it to the end of the week. I did it. There should be a, we need like some sort of a plaque. That's what we need to do. <laughs> plaques. I would never turn down a, a, a yeah, never turn down a I've nice I've never plaque, met anybody. So. You know who turns down plaques? Yeah, savages. Savages and gigolos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not a Tony no, Stark, I guess. No, I, I would sir. welcome any plaques or awards, <laughs> fake, real, whatever that you want to set. <laughs> Pete's going to start working on that right away. I'm already, I've already got my modeling putty out. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> well, today we are digging into Minute 10, which starts with a crazy attack of passion and ends with Christine tempted by some wall hardware. <laughs> I'm not sure what to say about that. We got we to gotta start with the, uh, this again, it, the, our scenes break uh, during the, what'd you call it? El Flambe Delicto? <laughs> <laughs> on flambe. I think I had that so, in a French yeah, restaurant. Right. <laughs> uh, but but my uh, my favorite part about that is you know it's already a, a sort of a laugh beat, right? That that they end up in bed together. But as they roll furiously off the bed, the lingering cackle from Tony is so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. My note for that is who laughs like that. <laughs> I think it's someone who's having the thought, I can't believe this is my life. How awesome is this? I don't know. That's just, just a guess. <laughs> right. All oh, right. That's why I haven't laughed like that. Right. <laughs> oh. oh, no. Sad yeah, trombone. Right. <laughs> no, it is, a, it is a very funny moment. I, I have a great time with it. And it just, it, it cracks me up every time because Christine is just insane. Like she is, is she like, how do you contain that? Like, I wouldn't even know what to do. She's just like nonstop. Uh, Andy, I think you're telling us a lot about you. <laughs> <laughs> what is that like? This no, really. What is that like? Well, and, and, and apart from uh, Andy's, uh, any of Andy's potential performance issues, we do meet the lair right we are we we wake up to uh hey jarvis and my goodness uh do you remember the first time you heard jarvis and got to spend this minute in tony stark's joint yeah this is uh, that's one of the reasons i love this minute is because now you are pulled into tony's world and you you see how he lives. You hear Jarvis. You see the you know the the graphics on the windows. You get the really pull out wide shot of that house in Malibu. And now you're 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 starting to see getting another dimension of Tony and seeing how he lives. And, uh, and again, it's just in a minute. So another really efficient minute and showing us okay, this is the world that you're in now. Paul Bettany uh, came on board to do the voice of Jarvis. He said it was one of the easiest jobs he ever had in his life because he basically he had no idea what the script was he was he was given i mean he knew it was iron man but he hadn't read it uh so he wasn't really familiar with the plot he was just given his lines he went in for two hours recorded all of his lines he said he got paid a lot of money and then went and took his wife on vacation that's of course jennifer Connolly. 
And and it sounded like, uh, you know, there's a, a note on uh, the trivia on IMDb that says, Paul Bettany has never seen the film and is unfamiliar with the plot. So it makes me wonder when this was written. Because obviously, I would think by the time he rolls around to some of the later films, I'd like to think that he went back and actually watched the rest of them so that he knew what he was, he was getting himself into. But I love the idea, though, that this is a guy Iron like... Man. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just love the idea that he he came on board. Says, yeah, I'll read some lines and get paid a lot of money for it. Sure. I would. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the, the technology is, of course, brilliant, right? With the LEDs uh, built into the glass panes. And we get, a, we get to see, you know, Tony's, Tony's bedroom. Uh, it has in it that one sort of sitting chair, which, you know, on which they throw the clothes. We've got some flowers that are clearly maintained by somebody else. And we have that giant telescope that's actually pointed into the sky. Uh, And I always find myself thinking with that telescope, like knowing Tony, the setup that they've given us of Tony, it sort of feels like that telescope will be pointed into his next door neighbor's house. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like here it's legitimately pointed up, which feels like way too appropriate of a use for Tony Stark. (laughs) You know, but he's such a science minded guy. Like I can see when he's being serious that he's actually really curious about this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are, of course, talking about the Celestron CPC 1100 GPS XLT computerized telescope. Oh, oh, oh yes. Oh, uh, yes. That is the, that the $3,000 telescope <laughs> that we see sitting there in the corner of his bedroom. Besides, don't most telescopes actually show you the image upside down, which would make spying on your neighbors probably not as effective. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> True. <laughs> no, you you got me. <laughs> Unless that's his thing. You never know. <laughs> there, uh, uh, on the graphics on screen as we as we get that reverse angle from external uh, exterior of the house on um, Christine, it starts to pull back and we see that there's, you know, XM channel four. Uh, we've got a, a graph of the Dow performance. And then there's an on-screen keyboard that's like right at, like, why is that keyboard there? It's right at your waist and you have a talking computer to take on all of your actions. Why do you need a keyboard at that height, at that place on the screen? I find that a bizarre I guess choice. why not? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess just in case you need to type something. I can imagine for Tony, he can be talking to Jarvis and inputting things maybe. I don't know. Maybe, but imagine. it's a very yeah. awkward angle to be inputting anything. It is. You 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 feel like it would be more at your yeah, eye height, yeah. so your hands are up, right? Like like. Well, I guess if, if you imagine yourself hung over the next day, crawling <laughs> over to the window, <laughs> right. it's a hangover keyboard. <laughs> You're right. Once again, right. you got me. <laughs> this is Tony. <laughs> Maybe Jarvis just really understands Tony. He's like, for your convenience, I put it at hip height, sir. <laughs> Just to annoy. Oh, we didn't mention Jarvis. Actually, uh, it stands for just another rather very intelligent system, which I never knew. I did not know that either. Was that now? Was that a comic thing, or did they retcon that? No, it wasn't. I forgot to mention this, but Jarvis. Jarvis was a human in the comics. He was. Yeah, he was Tony's butler, and he's introduced in Tales of Suspense number fifty nine. And we meet him, this is after the Avengers had formed, and we meet him actually in the headquarters of the Avengers, because what happened is Tony um, gave his residence to the Avengers to use as their headquarters, and he left Jarvis with it. So Jarvis is kind of the butler for the Avengers. 
And it's interesting because later there's a point where he actually becomes a villain. Although, as we find out, he's actually under the control of all characters. It's Ultron. Uh Oh, you guys. Now, I got to tell you, as an outsider who did not know any of that, I find this adaptation of Jarvis to be brilliant. That makes total sense how they would update Jarvis as the butler to make him the brilliant internal home intelligence. Did you were you struck that way when you saw the movie? I I remember keeping up with. Beforehand, when they were making the movie, a lot of nerds online were asking what they would do with Jarvis, and I and I, I can't remember if it was kind of fans that said this or if it was any of the filmmakers that said it. Maybe they didn't want any comparisons, like from Bruce Wayne and and Alfred, and so they tried to think of a of a smart way to update it, and that's how they came up with kind of making him an AI. E- either way, whatever the the journey was to arriving at, at, at this Jarvis, I, I love it. I think it worked great. Again, fighting the Bruce Wayne. It's tricky when you have a, a, a super rich millionaire uh, who uh, becomes a superhero to try to avoid drawing those comparisons. Yeah, just remove uh, a lot of the angst, <laughs> or, at least, uh, <laughs> right. or at least certain varieties of the angst. <laughs> yeah, totally different. Yeah, um, this is, of course, the uh, we we do get that great shot of the uh, of the mansion in Malibu. Um, there is a possible house that they might have used for inspiration. It's called the Razor House. It's a really interesting looking house if you look at it online. Um, I think actually um, it was the, if I, I, I may be incorrect, but when I watched the movie Nocturnal Animals, it felt like she lived in that house. So it's entirely possible that they filmed oh, that there. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. But um, it, it's, uh, it's actually a totally designed house um, um, designed by the production designer uh, J. Michael Riva and the illustrator Phil Saunders. Uh, Saunders was inspired by California architect John Lautner, and they kind of came up with this this look, and they felt what I thought was interesting is that Tony Stark would actually live in a fairly stark house that didn't um, that did not have much of a personality. And so they really worked to keep it kind of uh, barren with just a few random things like those telescopes and stuff. But I'm sorry, these shots, uh, and and you can find it at therazorhouse.com, uh, and I'm, I'm going through some of the photos right now, and it, it, so you say it was a totally designed house, but some of these shots, like the garage oh, shot, wow. like, yeah. there is there is no way this house was not the inspiration. Oh, yeah, it's almost identi- identical. There is yeah. just no it's, a, it's a crazy design that definitely has that vibe. I think that this house was built in 2007, though, so they might have maybe had some initial blueprints or plans, plans. or something, but I don't think that they would have been, actually been able to scout the house to look at it as an option. Yeah. That infinity wow. pool is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those houses yeah. that you look at and you're like, oh, wow. But then you're also like, could I live <laughs> here? <laughs> it's so <laughs> cement. It's just like gray cement everywhere. <laughs> I don't think I would ever feel like I'm at home, right? I would always feel like I'm borrowing somebody else's place. Yes. Yes. I think this is the kind of house you have when you have 10 houses. And so if you're feeling more <laughs> like Tony Stark, you go live here for a month. <laughs> and uh, if you're feeling more cozy, you go live in your log cabin for a month. I guess that's how you would do it. That's absolutely it. Yeah. That makes total sense. No, that's exactly that's what I would do. I mean, look at this. This this photo, uh, I can't even it's like number 12 or something. It's a living room shot. This is exactly the shot that we see, you know, as she walks out of the bedroom through the living room. Uh, it, you know, you just put that little glass table in the middle and that's where we are. Right. I mean, this is this is unreal. Yeah, it is wild. You, you would think that they would have shot it here because it looks 
so similar, so very similar. It's really interesting. Yeah. The um, this house um was actually CG'd. When we get the pullout, it is on a bluff that is actually Point Doom, um, in uh, just I think it's just north of LA. And it's just kind of this this uh this nice little point that juts out, and they CG'd it up on top of the bluff, and you get this beautiful house. Uh, the address is ten. 880 Malibu Point, which will be revealed. And what's an interesting note, uh, Pete, on our main show, The Next Reel, we recently talked about the Planet of the Apes films. Well, it turns out the beach where Charlton Heston uh, finds the Statue of Liberty in that film is actually below this bluff. Huh. No. Who'd have thunk it? Oh, wow. Certainly not I. Right. I wonder if you can see the statue from here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the the whole story. Uh, anyone who read the comics knows that uh, Tony Stark. Really, the bulk of his story was in New York. That's where he was. Uh, he was from and everything. But John Favreau really wanted to move Tony Stark to the West Coast. He said, "I wanted a different look. So instead of having Iron Man flying between New York City buildings, we have the ocean and mountains of the West Coast in the film." I also felt like shooting in Los Angeles ties in with the roots of the whole Howard Hughes influence and the history of flight aspect. And, you know, I think also you had Spider-Man, who is so prominently in New York. Batman is Gotham City, but it still feels like that big city sort of thing. I I actually like this move. And I I know later there are the West Coast Avengers that pop up in the comics. And Tony does actually migrate um, later in the series to the L.A. area. But I actually like it out on the West Coast. What do you guys think of that? I think it works. I think it really jives with the whole tone of the movie and the tone of the MCU Tony Stark. I mean, I didn't even stop to question it, which I think is a testament to how seamless it all fit together. Yeah, I mean, the the whole locale, the whole sense of place fits so much into what I uh, feel like I have been taught about cinematic Tony Stark that I I, I totally agree. I never questioned it. It it makes me wonder, was it a thing of controversy? I don't remember any, I I may not have just seen it, but I don't remember anyone criticizing it really not 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 really loud anyway yeah i don't think they would have gotten their feathers all mussed up over it or anything like that but it is one of those things where some people go oh that's an interesting choice i think that's likely the extent that that people would have really uh, said something tony stark's identity I, I don't think has ever been so tied to a location as like you said a, a peter parker or something like that so it gave them some creative leeway exactly uh, we do see some uh, some guitars when she's walking around, uh, leaning up against the back wall there. There's a Fender Telecaster and a Gibson 335 on the back wall. Um, we also have, there's a grand piano around the corner we get a, a peek at. And then there's an Eames lounge chair. It's an interesting bit of stuff that we have in here. Oh, and there's, the, of course, the big wall of water, which I guess was actually done digitally. Oh, uh, from what I was reading is the visual effects team actually put that in there. That makes sense because she is not, shocked by it at all and i don't care who you are you walk by that awesome wall of water you're gonna react (laughs) (laughs) that is so true there's there's a few um uh, paintings on the walls i could not for the life of me figure out who did those paintings i'm kind of assuming there were some paintings credited in the end of the film but i looked at what those ones are none of them look like these ones so i'm assuming that these are just like movie prop rental paintings that they just threw up on the walls to fill the space. Probably, or depending on how dedicated they were, they might have found some local like 
California artist or something and said, hey, here's your big break. We're going to put this in Iron Man's house. I would think they'd still credit them in the end, though. Oh, that's true. The one piece that I couldn't figure out is when the when you were in the um, uh, we're on that pullback shot, as we see her looking out at the ocean and we're pulling back right below her as we pull back, there's like a funky red statue thing like in a planter. And I figured it was some like famous piece of art that's expensive. I mean, typically what I've been finding with this as I research is they keep picking things that are very expensive because obviously it says a lot about who Tony is. But for the life of me, I could not find what that red statue in the yard was. And it's very difficult, I will say, to to try searching on Google red statue Iron Man because inevitably <laughs> everything you get back is just a big Iron Man statue. <laughs> <laughs> tried to research i accidentally bought three life-size right. iron man statues <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and, and i guess i'll throw them doctor the who's like a telephone booth like that's that's kind of it moves it comes by so quickly it looks like a british telephone stand yeah right <laughs> some funky thing who knows we got a hint of music here it's i feel like it, Mostly what we've been hearing is the Jack Urbant theme from the original cartoon. That's like all they've been playing through all of these different cues so far, even when the two of them are having their romp. But we finally get a hint of music that's not that when we do the pullback. Uh, Ramin Jawadi did the score for this film. And I'm assuming that that's his music. There's It's hardly anything, but at least there's a little bit of something that's finally not the Iron Man uh cartoon theme song yeah uh we get a little bit of something that feels a little more orchestral a little grander which actually really fits pulling out to that awesome reveal of the of the house and ramin jawadi's a a great composer if if you haven't even if someone is not a fan of the game of thrones show go on itunes and check out the soundtrack because it's killer for for really good fantasy music it's amazing so yeah here it's definitely obviously a different style than game of thrones but um Especially as you're getting into the scenes, I'm uh, about to break the rule. Later on, when he's building the suit, uh, there's uh, it, it's not like music that knocks you over, but there's a definite signature and style to it that that adds a little something to the story. He's he's a composer that um, I think that I've fluctuated with my uh, opinions of him. Sometimes I I find him in higher esteem, and sometimes not as much. This particular film, I I really enjoy the score. I think he does a good job with it, and it's his only time in the uh, in the MCU. But I I enjoy what he brings here with kind of that iron clanging and just kind of the the feel of with the electric guitars. Everything kind of feels like it ties into this character whose name happens to be Iron Man. It has that kind of more metallic bite of a sound to it. Yeah, if you could make, it's like orchestral industrial almost, yeah. with, even with some electric guitars in the background. And actually one of these songs from the soundtrack ends up uh, has ended up in one of my book soundtracks. I make soundtracks for all my books. It helps me write. And there's a key scene on, on, on one book that I, I wanted to kind of a, to nail the feel of it. And then I thought, oh, there, there's a, um, a song on the soundtrack called Driving with the Top Down. Oh, yeah. That was where mm-hmm. he was. Yeah. And uh, I thought that'll be perfect. So, um, yeah, I've got a, a soft spot for this soundtrack. He's also, you know, I, to that point, I mean, it, it sort of doesn't matter what he's done. He's such a chameleon, you know. I mean, you go from this Game of Thrones, but uh, his work on Westworld has been just stunning. And I, I haven't seen any of it yet, but my, uh, what I hear is the music for Jack Ryan is fantastic too, for uh, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime. So um, he's, yeah, he's quite a talented guy. Yeah, he's really jumped into TV with these last few years because he also did the strain he did the strain uh, yeah. he did prison which was break. excellent yeah yeah 
Yeah, interesting. Person of interest. And he's behind all the the Gears games. I think. I think he's he's been behind the Gears games since uh, Gears of War, the first one. Uh, maybe that's not true, but I know he's done the, the later Gears games. And Microsoft has gone to great lengths to showcase, you know, obviously the exceptional use of music in these video games. And um, and he's, uh, you know, they've got Gears Five on deck. They've already started promoing it. I think Michael Giacchino really changed that market quite a bit when he. I can't remember what games he was doing, but he he kind of started. Started in video game composing, and I remember that was. I feel like that was one of the first times that I actually saw a video game soundtrack where you could buy the score. And I was like, "That's so interesting that it's it's become that." But now it's become a really prevalent element of these video games. I didn't realize that that's where he started. I, I knew him from Alias, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't know he went back farther than that. And you're right, game soundtracks have become. I mean, I, I have the. I think the last one I bought was. Um, uh, the Mass Effect Three soundtrack—it's legitimately good music. Well, and and Giacchino, his his scores for the the Medal of Honor games and Call of Duty—that's what it uh, was, yeah. You know, way back in the beginning, I think were they they were the ones that started getting him headlines. Even though he did, you know, I don't know, two dozen video games in, in the, those early years. Oh right, well, do you guys have anything else about this minute? Well, yeah, I do, I do. What's the so <laughs> the very end of this minute? She meets the purple gizmo on the wall, which now we've we've heard <laughs> of Jarvis. But this is another stinking minute by minute cliffhanger. What's the purple gizmo? Well, yeah, is she going to touch it? You yeah. can tell. Is, does she touch? You can it? tell she really wants. <laughs> she wants to. I love the little bite of her I nail. Kept, I know. <laughs> oh yeah, I was watching that minute, and I was watching the. The progress bar get towards the end it's just saying touch it come on touch it <laughs> but, ah, then it stopped <laughs> i know we're not going to find out until next week if she touches uh, this thing or not sure it is a funky torture. looking gizmo and i am uh, i'm quite excited to learn more about it see what happens with it <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> well ryan Thank you so much for uh, joining us all week on the Marvel Movie Minute as we talk about uh, Iron Man. I appreciate you having me. This was a real blast. It was great. Once again, uh, where can people uh, track you down? Uh, I, Ryan Dalton, on Twitter. Uh, you can check me out. You'll find me on some episodes of Legible Scrolls uh, podcasts, uh, some good narrative podcasts there. Uh, also, the Time Shift Trilogy uh, is my sci-fi series. It's available uh, wherever your favorite books are sold. Um, just a like a 10-second blurb about the first book, The Year of Lightning. It follows two teenage twins, a boy and a girl, who move across the street from a house with no doors. Uh, and then uh, once they see someone in the window of the house, the questions become, uh, who are they, what are they doing in there, and how do they connect to the crazy lightning storms that are threatening the town? Ooh. And that uh, opens up to a world of time travel and mystery and all sorts of coolness. Well, I'm going to tell you, I finally, I did it. I did it. You've sold me. I got you. <laughs> you sold me. I just pushed the buy now with one click button. Uh, uh, I, I cannot wait to start reading this and to get my uh, to get my kids into this, too. It seems like something right up their alley. Uh, so thanks a lot, man. This is that's a great plug. Oh, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And uh, I always love uh, just nerding out about lots of things. So this was really great. You know, and we should actually do this with our, our guests. Um 
when we are wrapping up with them, uh, find out, I know there's an awful lot of um, films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. I mean, we're at 20 and looking at 21 coming early next year. But if you, so it's hard to rank all 20 unless you probably have them all written down. But if you had to pick a favorite, what would you say is your favorite film in the uh, franchise? Uh, Civil War, probably. Mm. Um, And Ragnarok would be a close second. Ah, So good. Although my favorite action scene was the first big fight between Cap and Bucky in the Winter Soldier. See, that's where oh, okay. that's where I land too. Winter Soldier was that, that that sequence was terrific. I yeah, I still will watch that whenever I have to write fight scenes, I have like a playlist of fight scenes that I that I'll pull up like on yeah. YouTube and watch and that's number 1 on my list almost every time. Well, that's a good one. Oh, that's that's well, fantastic. That's a, that's and great you get the great scene. jump, right? You get the great uh the great highway jump, mm-hmm. which is epic. well, that's that's the big reveal of the shield yeah. catch too, right? Yeah. Where you go, whoa, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> Pete, what's your favorite? For me, I think it's it's Winter Soldier, although um, Ragnarok. I mean, Winter Soldier was just the perfect mix of everything I wanted from um, the great superhero stuff and Three Days of the Condor. You know what I mean? Like it just felt like such a throwback tonally and stylistically and. Um, so it, it just, it checked so many boxes and it didn't feel quite so fake things, throwing things at other fake things to me, you know, it, it just felt grounded in a way that some of the other ones didn't. So I'm, I'm, that's, that's number one for me. And Robert Redford, um, elevates anything he's in pretty much. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. True. Absolutely. That is such a good one. I have such a hard time because I feel like I'm torn between that. And Guardians of the Galaxy, which I I just feel like that had such a different energy and really just the spirit of that one. I feel like I it made me just fall in love with it so quickly. But also, I feel like Iron Man, like going back to this one that really kicked this whole thing off. I'm like, man, they did such a good job with that first film. It really I'm holds always up. torn between those ones. Yeah, it does. And then Absolutely. going back and watching the that first post credit scene with Nick Fury and and that I I remember so vividly that feeling of oh man. This thing we've wanted to happen for so long may actually be starting to happen. Oh, and God. that that yeah. feeling of excitement was just awesome. And oh, I don't know anything about of, that. I've only seen 10 minutes of yeah, it. Yeah, right. Of course. Well, no. <laughs> Sorry to spoil you it for you. If I had seen all of those minutes, I would have been sitting in that theater saying, oh, God, I'm going to cry right now. People are going to see me cry right now over a superhero yeah. movie. What am I going to do? <laughs> And then on, it's interesting now, 20 movies later, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we get payoffs that have been set up in the universe. Like one of my favorite little moments in Infinity War was when uh, Rocket is fighting side by side with Bucky and he tries to buy his gun and then he tries to buy his arm. And then (laughs) when Bucky walks away, he says, I get that arm. (laughs) And you know fans have been following it you know that had a big laugh in the theater i was in and i had a a nice warm nerd moment there it's like oh man we've all enjoyed this whole universe together it's just really cool yeah it's it's pretty amazing what they've pulled off so um very exciting all right, everybody. Well, thank you uh, for tuning in. That's the end of this week. We're glad you tuned in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free over at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. If you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, why don't you become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Reel. Until next time, true believers. <laughs>